0: Full moon greetings dreamer. Today, I have a conversation with Catherine Lawson to share with you. Catherine supports people in their healing through dream work using the embodied imagination process. This is a one-on-one process with a different flavor from group dream work, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast. So it'll give you a glimpse into one other of the many ways to engage with your dreams. Catherine and I also talk about her own experience turning to embodied imagination dream work as a cancer patient, and then after her recovery, as a practitioner, offering this type of dream work to other cancer patients. I asked Catherine if there's anything she's noticed that the dreams of people with life-threatening illness have in common. As a part of her answer, you'll get to hear about one of Catherine's own dreams that she had during cancer treatment. We also talk about the connections between psychological and physical healing. From my perspective in classical Chinese medicine, I view healing on the emotional level to not just be essential to physical healing, but oftentimes one and the same as physical healing. Catherine mentions this too, in terms of how the body needs a state of peace, not stress, in which to do the processes of healing and repair. Catherine has a strong academic background in dreams and psychology, having gotten a master's degree in depth psychology at Pacifica Graduate Institute, and now she's enrolled in a doctoral program in mind-body medicine. You'll hear her reflect on the issues around learning about traditional approaches to dreams from cultures other than the mainstream Western academic one and how important it is to approach this slowly with care and respect. Catherine has so much insight here and a true love of dreams and fascination with healing. I think you will enjoy hearing from her as much as I did. Just before we jump in, if you are interested in learning more about dreams and health, and especially if you're curious about the science of symbols we use in Chinese medicine, I'll be hosting a live online workshop on Wednesday, August 26th sharing some practical wisdom from Chinese medicine, and diving into one or two participants' dreams. I would love to have you there. Come on over to thedreamersden.org slash open, and sign up to receive email updates from me, and you'll be the first to hear the details of that live workshop coming up. All right, let's get into this episode. You're listening to The Dreamer's Den podcast. I'm your host, Leilani Navarre. I'm here along with guest dream workers, authors, and teachers to talk about diving deep into your dreams. We're skipping the small talk and going for conversations about what matters most to us, what's touching us so deeply that it shows up in our dreams, in one form or another. We talk about engaging with dreams to experience insight, inspiration, healing, and meaningful connection with one another. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can catch all these conversations. Visit thedreamersden.org slash open for a free video and mini book I put together to help you learn more about opening up or deepening your own relationship with your dreams. Welcome Catherine.
1: Hello. I'm really happy to be here. My favorite topic.
0: Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> So to start us off, can you share how you first got involved with dreams in a in a deeper way, how you realized that they were really important to you?
1: When I was studying for my master's, I got a master's in counseling psychotherapy at the Pacifica Graduate Institute. And their programs are very much focused on depth psychology, Jungian psychology, archetypal psychology, and that kind of thinking around healing and psychological healing. And so I was learning about, um, some of the great scholars who set down the foundations of those understandings and learning about dream work. And it really just captured me. Um, I had had a, a repetitive dream that I had since childhood. Um, a pretty active dream life, and I just really got captured by um the idea that our dreams are um, not just something that happens but actually working with our psyche or our soul or our spirit for our evolution or growth or individuation, depending on how you want to look at it mm-hmm. and so um, I got. A, quite a bit of training and understanding in how to work with dreams using a method called dream tending, which is, was developed by, um, the chancellor of our school, Stephen Eisenstadt. Uh-huh. And, uh, I, as I proceeded through my program, I ended up writing my, um, thesis on dream work as healing. I actually wrote it on, uh, I think it was called the heroine's journey. And I, Based it on a comparison of uh, healing through ge- dream work, and compared to um, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Uh huh. And so that was my thesis, and I wrote it and I lived it. I wrote a heuristic thesis, which means somewhat based on my own experiences. And uh, it was incredibly rich, um, and I really came to believe in a very deep way in dream work as a healing method, in particular for ch- uh, psychological trauma, for sexual trauma, um, for women. And so, as a result of doing that research, mm-hmm. um, at the end of finishing your your master's thesis and getting your master's degree to become a psychologist, you have to do um, an inter- internships and acquire hours of practice in order to get your licensure. And interestingly enough, as I was proceeding through getting those hours in, you know, kind of state mental health and very organized kind of mental health um, opportunities that presented themselves for me, no one wanted me to do dream work. <laughs> oh and i was like but what but but why yeah and um that's what led me to kind of veer off from being just focused on depth psychotherapy and a practice as a kind of more conventional psychotherapist to being more focused on dream work was that i it almost felt like i didn't have any choice that's just what captured me a lot more than the other um, path that I could have taken. Uh-huh. And you, you had this experience
0: of your own about physical illness, um, not that we can completely separate the physical and psychological, but for lack of a better term, with cancer treatment and recovery. Right. And would you be able to share anything about that, how dreams played a role in that process?
1: Sure, so, Kind of following that that path of, you know, I'm moving along trying to become a psychotherapist, but understanding that maybe the ways that I'm finding to be most fruitful and interesting um, as far as healing are not necessarily going to be embraced by the kind of path that I'm taking. I decided to get a certification in a, in a, in a method of dream work. Um, that also really captured me. Called embodied imagination. I attended a um, a seminar on the method with Stephen Eisenstadt and the founder and pioneer of the method, Robert Bosnak. And from the second I heard about it, I knew. I just I thought this is it. This I have to learn how to do this and offer this to people. And this is the way that I'm meant to be a healer. And so. Um, I approached uh, Robert Bosnack about getting training and I embarked on a three year certification in this method called embodied imagination. And I was about halfway through my training and I got a cancer diagnosis huh. and um, decided to continue with my certification for as long as I could, which I did have to take quite a long break. Mm-hmm. Um, and he agreed to work with me using the method um, while i was going through chemo and radiation and all of the rest of it and i had already known that this method um has been applied to physical healing because um he has a, a couple of healing sanctuaries so i knew that and so it just you know i just i just knew that i immediately wanted to start going to my dreams to see what was there for me to get through this uh huh and in the end um the practice just helped so much hmm. i really have a hard time thinking about how i would have gotten through it without it honestly and i you know maybe it helped me physically in a box like helped my physical healing but most certainly it helped my emotional healing um and i you know i believe that all of these things work in conjunction so if your mind is is not okay or your spirit then your body's not okay and your body's not going to heal yeah. so the embodied imagination really helped me to be um in a much better place to heal and make it through this grueling journey. Yeah. And uh, and so by the time I was finished and, and on the other side, um, I just felt like I had to share it with people who um, could benefit. I came to a lot of realizations from actually being the patient. I mean, I came to realize that You know, cancer diagnosis is a trauma. Mm -hmm. So people who receive cancer diagnosis are generally experiencing the symptoms of PTSD, but nobody mentions that to them. Uh And so it's very difficult for them to go about taking care of themselves in that way if they don't understand that that might be what's going on for them. So, um, yeah, that's that's a small slice of how that happened. Yeah. (laughs) That's
0: so important what you're saying there about just hearing the diagnosis itself and reckoning with what's going on let alone the whole physical ordeal of the treatment.
1: Right. right.
0: Have you found that most people who've been diagnosed with cancer when you present that idea to them does it does it resonate right away? I mean is that sort of a oh uh,
1: it was it's just amazing, you know. So I finished my own journey of <laughs> chemo, radiation, and then I had neutropenic fever, which means I was really, really sick. And then I kind of, once I got healthy enough to figure out, well, what am I going to do with my life now? um, I decided that I did want to work with cancer patients. And um, I worked for this organization called the Charlotte Maxwell Center, and they offer integrative healing practices, including, you know, Chinese medicine, Reiki, all kinds of different integrative methods. And they let me do embodied imagination with with the patients who went to their clinic.
0: The patients were
1: all women who had either, I think, breast or um, ovarian cancer. And they were all women of the, in order to qualify for these free services, you had to be of the lowest socioeconomic status. So what would happen is I would go into the room with these women and And I would say, you know, we're going to do embodied imagination. Of course, they have no idea what that is. And I would give them a little bit of my history and I would tell them a little bit about what the practice is. And I would tell them the words, I believe that a cancer diagnosis is a trauma. And I cannot tell you how many times at that moment the woman would begin crying Uh because nobody had ever said that to her before.
0: Mm.
1: And so that's the healing started in that moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, they knew, but they didn't know, you know what I mean? They, Absolutely. Yeah. you know, it's so isolating. I mean, I literally, I also used to give talks to oncologists about um, this same idea that a cancer diagnosis is a trauma and you can help your patients heal if you can help them heal emotionally and psycho-spiritually and I would read just read down for these doctors the list of symptoms for PTSD and they would just be aghast that they didn't know
0: yeah they just didn't know mm-hmm. yeah that jump right away from the cancer diagnosis to how are we physically going to tackle this right this enemy right. you know and and skipping that part wow yeah I'm that's it What a blessing to all those women that you showed up in the room and said that.
1: Well, I felt very fortunate to be able to do it. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit
0: of what you what you explained to all of them about what embodied imagination is and how that
1: works? I'll tell you what it looks like, because sometimes it's it's not so valuable for them to understand the mechanics of it but to give themselves over to it. If they give themselves over to it, then they can experience the benefits of it. Okay. So what would happen is that for, for in a situation like this, where I have a total stranger in a room for one hour, I'm quite limited in what I can do. Yeah. Um, So I'll give you that version, but a full embodied imagination session involves quite a bit more. Okay. So initially what I actually do is guide them into um, a hypnagogic state. So that state between waking and sleeping where we have most access to um, a dream state or and also kind of remembering or reliving our dreams. And the way that I do that is I um, count them down into a state of relaxation, and then I take them through a very slow body scan. And the body scan serves a purpose for relaxation. It also serves the purpose of setting a baseline so that if they experience an embodiment, um, they have something to compare it to. This is what my body felt like when I went into the hypnagogic state, and this is what my body feels like now. So Mm -hmm. I set a baseline. After they've gone through that, I have them explain to me or tell me the dream or in many cases with, in these situations when the women didn't even know they'd need a dream, it could be a memory or a vision, and I'd have them explain it in as much detail as they possibly could and in the first person present, so as if they're in that dream, memory, or dream uh, or vision right now. Uh huh. And then I would, um, once they've done that, that's eyes closed and they're really starting to turn their focus inward at this point. I would ask them about any associations they had to particular images that stood out to me. So if there was, let's say, a dog in the dream, I might say, well, what are your associations to white dogs? And they would tell me. Mm -hmm. By asking these questions about association, I would get an idea whether a dream, whether an image had a particular kind of potency and sometimes whether it had a particular kind of potency in relationship to their current life or difficulties that they might have shared with me that that they're experiencing right now. Um, At that point, I generally would pick an image or two that I believe that would be valuable to work with. I would then have them retell the dream again, but this time when they retell the dream, I would focus in on one of these images that that I had chosen that I believe might be beneficial for them to um, use, as an embodiment experience experience. What I mean by that is so they go back into the dream and I'd say, can you go to the moment when you first saw the dog? And so I would have them fill out that entire environment. Where are they standing? Where's the dog standing? What time of day it is? I'm really filling this out as if it's happening in the here and now. Mm -hmm. Eventually I get them close enough to the image, With slow, careful attention that I can say, and what is it like to be so blank, whatever it is, description that they've given me of this uh, image, and they'll say, well, I am blank. What happens at that moment is they've made the switch. They've become embodied by the image. They're not speaking anymore from their habitual consciousness or their first person perspective, you know, their perspective. They're speaking from the perspective of the image. Mm. That's the magic in this work, honestly, because you get out of your own way and you share a perspective with a dream image that's sharing something with you. Mm -hmm. So at that point, we would begin to explore what that perspective is. And once we've gotten all the information about that perspective, so if the dog is feeling fearful or tired or happy or loving or cold or whatever the dog is feeling, we're going to um, anchor that in the body wherever it's felt. Well, this dog feels incredibly grateful to be close to you. Let's say that's what the dog, the dog, she says as the dog, I'm feeling so grateful to be close to so-and-so uh-huh. and I'll say, well, where in your body are you most aware of that feeling? Oh, I feel that right across my shoulders. I just feel like so happy. And I'll help them to anchor that feeling of happiness to be close in the shoulders. This thing that that we call an anchor is what we then use later on to uh, use in the waking life. So people are having a dual state of consciousness. They're experiencing two bodies and the body that the dream shares with them is then available to them through these anchors to use in waking consciousness to be integrated into waking consciousness. Does everything I just said make sense?
0: <laughs>
1: yes, it completely makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Cause it's that's a lot. great. And so, um, doing this process will' generally go along and, and we'll pick up one or two or for very experienced dream workers up to five anchors at the end of the session we'll hold all of the anchors in one body um, that's called the composite so if we picked up the dog um, the dog's perspective body embodiment and we picked up the dream, person's embodiment or perspective. And maybe we picked up a chair. I mean, who knows all kinds yeah. of things shows up in dreams. We're going to work all of those into one body, the body of the dreamer. And generally speaking, that is something like an alchemical process. All of these new perspectives and felt perspectives because you pick them up as, as embodiments begin to work together in the body and create something new that something new could be an insight or a feeling sometimes it's quite emotional it can be all kinds of things yeah and that is what the dreamer then takes when we we return to normal waking consciousness and bring it into the room that composite is is like the gift from the dream that the dreamer can continue to work like a meditation into their body over a period of time and uh, you know my feeling and my sense and what I hear from others is that's the tincture that's the medicine that the dream shares with the person wow yeah
0: <laughs> yeah i love that i think in in dream work and in doing acupuncture and body work on people's bodies I feel aware from this other angle of something I think that's similar to what you're describing where after the process there's a change in the Mm -hmm. body and there's a change in the felt experience of the body and it's profound and it's it's only really understood the the how much it means is only really understood by the person who feels that shift right but the the weight it can carry when someone says something like wow i didn't realize i held all that tension in my sternum like that right. sentence is very simple but you see that they're transformed by realizing right.
1: that right yeah. So going back to the women, uh, well, actually, it's a different group of women. I worked for, an eight, did an eight week workshop with women who had a ca- cancer diagnosis. And uh, interestingly enough, I did a pre test and a post test with them. So I measured them for symptoms of PTSD before they did the workshop with me. And then I measured them again after they did the workshop with me. And one kind of interesting result was that. I thought everybody was going to improve, right? Everyone was going to. The dreams are going to do their, their work, and have, you know, people are going to feel better. Several of the women did not n- did not state that they had an improvement in the in um, symptoms, but actually that they had more symptoms of PTSD. Fortunately, I had the wits about me. To, to ask them to clarify why. And the reason why is because they didn't realize they had any symptoms when they started the work. Yeah. But by the time they'd done the eight weeks, they recognized in themselves all of these symptoms of trauma, because the dreams shared it with them. Yeah. That they didn't know that they had before. And so what could be considered a bad thing, right? Before they didn't have any symptoms. Now they have some symptoms was actually a great thing because Mm -hmm. how are they going to take care of themselves if they don't even know that it's there?
0: Right. Oh yeah. And that, that just applies on so many levels, right? I mean, there's all these things, you know, even in our collective experience right now, we might say, Oh, it's, it's getting bad out there, but it's been bad out there. (laughs) We just have we just haven't all been naming it. We haven't been, um, you know, like these women having the, the, the light of actual conscious awareness to shine on it so we can see it.
1: Right. And what was beautiful, really beautiful, was that they were then able to have empathy for themselves, mm. which is the first step in healing trauma.
0: Mm-hmm. And then did you have other women who felt maybe more aware of their symptoms to begin with? And did the process... Uh, yeah, and so
1: for people who already realize that they might be suffering some symptoms of trauma, they would tend to be more likely to notice improvements. Okay. But what's real, you know, what's also really interesting about it all for me is that it wa- it wasn't anything I did. These women basically showed up, showed a little trust and faith. And let their dreams do what they were going to do. I have no control over that whatsoever. Right. Yeah. And so then the dreams did what they were going to do. And I, you know, I have a skill as a guide, but that's about it. And so to me, the thing that that's so beautiful about it was that they open themselves up enough that the healing is actually their own, yeah. you know? Yeah. Nobody else was doing it. I I'm I don't hold any special healing skills. I hold skills as a guide.
0: <laughs> and that is so much more, I want to say, empowering for the long term, I think, for anyone who goes through that process with you because they they don't have to feel like, well, now they need you if they're right. gonna ever do this again, but to be able to walk away knowing that those dreams yeah. arose from within them.
1: Right. And to be honest, that takes a lot of the pressure off of me too. And Mm -hmm. I believe that it makes better healers because you're not held, you know, to some level, to some aspiration that you might have to force. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's no need for that. Yeah.
0: So for, for anyone who might be listening right now, and this isn't really making sense because they haven't had an experience like this before, And I'm thinking of people who I've done dream work with, and I've said something like, well, where do you feel that in your body? And they draw a complete blank and might say, what do you mean? You know, the the feeling has a name, let's say sad, but it doesn't necessarily have a physical sensation. Mm -hmm. Is that something you have walked people through where, where you might be trying to guide them into this embodied experience? And there's just not that connection yet?
1: Uh, yeah, there's a couple of ways of looking at that question. The first one that I'll, that I'll go at is that sometimes there are embodiments. So someone, let's say someone brings me a nightmare and in this nightmare, there's a killer. Okay. Mm -hmm. So sometimes embodiments are difficult because our habitual consciousness is saying no I'm not going anywhere near that guy. Yeah. And it's very difficult for people to move away from that habitual consciousness. And there might be a very good reason for them to not want to move away from that habitual consciousness. It might be serving a protective mechanism that they still need. Very often it's not. It's outdated, but it can be that it is. I will try to get an embodiment with most images that seem other horrifying or frightening. The reason for that is because there's generally new information to be found very often. They're not actually horrifying or frightening. That is the habitual consciousness that's throwing up that story. And when you really get close to the uh, image and get an embodiment out of it, it's something completely different Uh that you can use. But if I try a few different, Angles at getting at an image, and a person still like nope, can't feel anything. Nope, not going. You know, not going near that. I honor that. Uh huh. So that's my first piece of answering that question.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: But otherwise, if it's something that's a lit, you know, not not as traumatic. Um. Usually, if you've got a strong embodiment a person will know where they feel it in their body. So if I've gotten a person into an embodiment, let's say with a fireman, and they're already at the point that they're telling me what it's like to be this fireman. So they've got a success, they've made the transit from their habitual consciousness into the the perspective of this, or environment of this fireman. And I'm asking them what it's like to be him and they're telling me all kinds of things about what it's like to be him. And one of the things they tell me is that he's scared. If I say, is there any place in your body that you're most aware of being frightened and I give them a second, they find it. Yeah. Because, Almost all strong emotions like that do have a physical. There are some that appear over and over again, and that would make sense to you, right? Like, so a lot of things show up in the heart and in the stomach. Yeah. Um, but generally they'll feel it. They, they'll be able to tell you where they feel it. If they can't, It could be that you don't, in my practice anyway, in the practice of embodied imagination, it could be that you don't have a good embodiment and you should try again. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting because I think that is a difference between how you're guiding and what I'm used to doing where you've used this hypnagogic state already. And so some of the barriers, I guess, to really feeling all the physical sensations that go along with our thoughts and our emotions those barriers aren't really there.
1: They're, they're definitely lowered. If you think of it in terms of like hypnosis and suggestibility, the hypnagogic state allows for a much broader range there. And so, yeah, you're freer to feel things. The other thing that I notice about dream work is that People are so much more able to go to emotions and experiences and physical places in their body that they aren't in waking consciousness because it's, quote unquote, safe, because it's, quote unquote, just a dream. Yep. So you're not in a dream. That makes it a lot more dangerous, right? Yeah. But if you're asking somebody to go someplace that's in a dream and it's somebody else's body, well, they can do it. But then the beautiful piece is later on, they're still able to access that and use it.
0: Yeah. And that, that just reminds me of the the idea that, um, that myths are, I'm not going to phrase it exactly, but myths are cultural dreams and dreams are personal myths. Exactly. And, and how we can, it's so much easier to listen to a story and talk about another character and then still easier to talk about a dream and this imaginary thing and hardest to really right get under the layers of our own habitual waking self consciousness right. but but everything that we can perceive in a story or in a dream is also in us yeah it's real
1: <laughs> i yeah. would say it's real <laughs> it's real yeah yeah Yeah, exactly. We're living our myths when we go and do this work. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if there are any
0: images or themes. I don't know if this is something that you feel you could share with enough anonymity, but are there any things that you have seen recur for people dealing with a life-threatening illness in their dreams?
1: I feel like, there are helpers in these dreams always, but they are not always recognizable as such. And in the act of honoring and hosting and coming into communication with your dreams, you allow these helpers to share what they have for you. Mm-hmm. But they always have dreams with helpers and the helpers are always sharing something that the person's not able to access for themselves. So the the one way that I can be specific is to talk about myself. And I'll say that I see this in other people's dreams too. Uh huh. I had a dream at the very beginning of my chemo and radiation. And uh, it was a dream in which uh, my husband showed up in the dream. And in the dream, my husband needed to swim across a lake in Reno, where I've never even been, you know how crazy dreams are. And he needed to get to the nuclear power plant and switch it off or the whole world was gonna end. Wow. And in this dream also, on the way over there, there were um, voracious, man-eating crocodiles in the water. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the embody- one of the embodiments, I did several with this dream, but one of them that really stands out to me, and I see this happen in other people's dreams, is when I became embodied by Michael, the, the swimming man, I felt, I anchored in my hips, in my legs, this unbelievable strength and um, endurance. And I could just really feel as Dream Michael in this embodiment, my own strength and endurance and determination. And so I anchored that there in the hips. And then of course, later on, I worked that into waking Catherine's um, world, <laughs> uh-huh. and the thing is, is that at that point in time that I had that dream, I was really quite overcome by by the symptoms of PTSD. I was quite literally scared for my life, yeah, and a really quite wrestling with the idea of my own mortality, and depressed and you know let's just say I did not have access to that (laughs) yeah Yeah. and so by working this dream and some other things that that the dream presented that dream Michael was my helper and I was able to use him for weeks in order to get through you know laying in that radiation machine scared witless right so it's like that wow and that was
0: available to you. That was in there.
1: Yeah, it was in there. I just didn't have access to it. But the dreams gave me access to it. Yeah.
0: That's a wonderful example. Oh, good. So to me, there's there's an inseparable flow with our the chi that moves through our channels and the functions of our minds and how our emotions take shape and the functions of our organs and our muscles and everything else, right? So if my muscles are feeling weak and I'm also having trouble um, thinking, like processing information very intellectually and very clearly, and I'm feeling extra worried, in Chinese medicine, all of those things would relate to the earth element and the spleen. Right. So it seems to me Well, it seems impossible that you would do this kind of work and not have an impact on someone's physical healing from cancer of some form, that there would be some form of um, support in the body, either having blockages out of the way so that it could more readily heal or having access to those resources so that healing can happen. Does that ring true for you? Do you feel like they connect in that way?
1: Absolutely. I mean, so in kind of setting up the the research for my dissertation and doing the kind of research that you have to do for the literature review to kind of justify the research, um, I have taken quite a bit of a look at the neuroscience of dreaming and what's happening in the brain and the body and you know, much as you certainly would suspect, it's it's all connected. And so, you know, that's why I started with saying, you know, there may be ways that doing embodied imagination helps people's physiological healing process. But certainly um people's um, emotional healing is provided. And when they feel better in that way, um, when their neurochemicals are balanced, for example, then the rest of their body is also running closer to properly, right? closer to, to a healing state. And so that's that's definitely happening. And then there's, you know, it's harder to talk to in academic academic research and so I don't as much but there's also the the psycho-spiritual piece of it Mm -hmm. I really feel like well we could I guess look at the research on stress but you know our bodies need a peaceful environment in which to heal Mm -hmm. and very often um some of these dream images and the experiences that they share with us are not readily available in um let's say your job at Google you know what i mean uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> it's just not happening and there is a kind of peace that people get to participate in when images share Visions of reality that are more unified, more gracious than what we might always be experiencing on a day-in, day-out basis. Mm-hmm. And I know you've you've looked a little bit into
0: other cultural approaches to dreams, other than this more Western psychological approach and right. mysticism and shamanism. I I don't know if you have anything that you've learned that you could share or even questions that you have that you're holding open. Is there anything about that psycho-spiritual side you'd wanna speak to?
1: A lot of where my energy around this is right now is actually around learning to be respectful. I feel like the indigenous ways, the mystical ways, the shamanistic ways of healing have always involved dreaming. Mm -hmm. That's not that, that doesn't take an excellent researcher to figure out. Uh But the thing that's really sitting as very, very important with me is that so much of this understanding can be screwed up. Yeah. Has been colonized, westernized, bastardized, just taken in every way that I believe diminishes its power and is utterly disrespectful. And so for me right now, where I am is in a place of honoring and really trying to figure out what's the best way to acknowledge and honor in a way that can be shared, but not stolen. And um, I feel like that has to be approached. I'm not approaching that quickly. (laughs) Right. Because for one thing, the people who should be asked are the people who come from these traditions and it's not necessarily easy to find them or to ask them. And that so far, as far as I can see, is the best way forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Very, very well said. And, and it's, not, it's not something where you just go and ask either and say, can you teach me everything you know so <laughs> I, can, yeah. I can go and use it, right? It's, it's right. a whole different kind of relationship. And
1: Right. Um, yeah. No more souvenirs. No. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, or uh, uh, it's almost like mining even, you know.
1: Exactly, um, exactly.
0: And I think there are certain traditions. I'm thinking this isn't directly dream related, but I'm thinking of the, the Thanksgiving address that Robin Wall Kimmerer shares in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass. And uh-huh. she asks, you know, is it okay if I share this? And yes, of course, you have to share it if it doesn't get shared, how's it going to do any good in the world? Right. And so I'm looking and listening for those where someone is saying, would you please learn this and share it?
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Cause, cause there's that too, you know, that there's some of that
1: happening too. Right. And I go looking, I, I, I definitely go looking. Um, and again, there's a lot that can be found in academia, but, you have to be careful about how that information that's being shared through academia was (laughs) mined yeah so yeah
0: right okay maybe i'll ask you before we close if there's anything you want to say about plant medicine and visions and dreams how these connect in our healing i think that there's you know, in the world, the developing world of psychedelic medicine, there's both this very academic side of things and also the more traditional side that is happening both within and extracted from traditional cultures, cultures that use this medicine traditionally. Um, but I know you've mentioned how dreams and dream work can play a role in that process. Do you want to share anything about that?
1: Well, I have discovered by happen chance that the same kinds of methods that I use to help people get in touch with the imagery from their dreams and maybe gain information, creativity, healing, whatever, Um, insights from from those images. I've discovered that that same practice can be used with the imagery that people um, experience during different kinds of journeys and that they find it beneficial. Mm -hmm. However, upon discovering that, I then realized that it is also a moment to take into consideration all of those other things that I just said about honoring traditional practices and making sure that I'm taking good care in the way that I approach it, and that I understand everything about, you know, I understand a lot about what I'm doing when I'm taking somebody through an embodied imagination practice, but maybe I don't understand everything that I should understand about plant medicine journey yeah. or um, shamanic ritual. And so again, I would say yeah it looks to me like there's over overlap and yes it definitely looks to me like some of the same practices would be helpful for the both and the more understanding that you can have of what you're dealing with and the approach even that was taken in getting there in the first place to the medicine and the journey um the better I really appreciate
0: how anchored you are in that perspective and and taking care as you as you go into these territories. Yeah,
1: I mean because honestly there'd be less less necessity for the service of plant medicine integration if that kind of consideration was very consistently taken before the medicine was ever ingested in the first place. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, right. All right. Thank you so much for sharing all of
1: this. You're welcome. I hope that um, there's something that can be of service to you or anyone else there. And I'm available for questions and.
0: Yeah. How can, how can listeners find you if they want to learn more about your work or get in touch with you?
1: There is a contact page on my website, which is um, www.dreamsheal.com. Okay, great.
0: I will put a link to your website in the show notes for our episode, so it'll be easy for folks to find you. Great. Awesome. Thank you for listening. Catherine and I would love to hear from you. Do you have any questions that came up while you were listening? Any dreams of your own that came to mind? Leave a comment on the show notes for this episode at thedreamersden.org, and there's a link to those show notes wherever you're listening to this. Send me an email or come join my free Facebook group called The Dreamer's Den, where we share dreams and dive deep together in written form. I'm in there every weekday, and I love reading your dreams. I will talk to you here on The Dreamer's Den podcast again on the new moon.
1: Until then, wishing you deep dreams.